mercies. Lord, just pray that each person here would uh, uh, live according to thy will, do thy will, and uh, put you first. And I pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. I guess I better get mic'd up. I am on. Turn to Acts chapter 5, please. Acts chapter 5. Now, in Acts chapter 5, we're leaving chapter 4, having taught it just recently. And in Acts chapter 4, you have it ending with uh, verse 32, they had all things common. And then it tells a story about Barnabas. Barnabas sold a piece of land. And he brought the money, he laid it at the apostles' feet. It's part of what they call the apostles' doctrine. So at this time, the church had everything in one accord. Everybody sold the things they had, but it was all voluntary. But now you're going to have two people, Ananias and Sapphira, that are going to sell a piece of land, and they are going to lie about it. And I think the title of my message is, uh, lying to God can get you killed. You know, I, I sort of vacillated on that a couple of times, and uh, lying to God can kill you, I think, is, is uh, um, another one that I was looking at. But let's go ahead and start in, um, look at verse chapter 5, verse 1. It starts with the word but. So you have a blessing, but now you have pride being shown with Ananias and Sapphira. But a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira's wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, there's nothing wrong with that if they wanted to bring part. They had, they had the right to do that. It, it, it isn't what we do today. You don't, you don't take this and try to apply it to people today, and that's why you rightly divide the word of truth and why we're dispensationalists, because you don't take all the truths in the Bible and try to apply them without distinguishing what's going on at the time. Verse 3, but again, Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? So in other words, he must have said, this is what I sold the land for, but he's lying and Peter knows. Now, what is this? This is supernatural knowledge. Remember it says, you know, tongues shall cease, uh, all the signs and wonders. It says knowledge shall cease. That's the knowledge he's talking about. I don't have that type of supernatural knowledge. I can't read your mind. You can lie to me and you can get away with it at times because I won't know the truth. I can't read your mind. I, I'm not like this situation. This is the knowledge that shall cease. Before the Word of God's complete, you don't, you, know, you don't have as much spiritual discernment from the Bible. Therefore, God gave them supernatural powers, especially the apostles. Uh, for him to be able to know that, that he lied and to tell him, that's pretty bold if there's a chance that he didn't. There's no chance because he has that knowledge. Uh, verse 4, whilst it remained, so here's the key. Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? So while you had the land, it was yours. When you sold it, the money was yours. In other words, that's what you need to understand here. Don't let anybody ever manipulate the Bible here and say, well, you see, you better give it all up because they're, they're perverting the Word of God. 
Why hast thou conceived this thing? Now, when it says conceived, that's like a seed. It's conceived. Uh, then, then, it, then it grows forth. When, when sin is conceived or when lust is conceived, then it bringeth forth things that are worse. Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. He's thinking, well, I'm, I'm just telling Peter and them, i got to keep back part. I mean, you know, uh, the economy could go south. Uh, you know, they could keep printing money, you know, and they could, you know, we, we, we may not be able to feed ourselves. We, we need to go ahead and keep back. Listen, it's okay to keep back part of it. Just don't lie to God. And that's what he said. You lied to the Holy Ghost. By the way, that's proof that the Holy Ghost is God. Verse 3 says they lied to the Holy Ghost. Verse 4 says thou hast lied uh, unto God. So again, proof text on the deity of the Holy Ghost. Verse 5, Ananias, hearing these words, fell down, gave up the ghost. And great fear came on all them that heard these things. That's, by the way, why I use Holy Ghost, not Holy Spirit. When the Holy Ghost comes in at salvation, He brings life. It's a new birth. Uh, when you give up the ghost, you're dead. You know, you're, you're go- the ghost, meaning, you know, your body, soul, and spirit, when you give up the ghost, you die. So he gave up the ghost. His soul is gone. His body is there. He's laying on the ground. Look at what happens. Verse uh, 6, And the young man arose, wound him up, carried him out, and buried him. This is why, you know, this is the first cemeteries outside the church type of thing. Uh, not, not really, but I just thought I'd make that point. And it was about the space of three hours after... When his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. Now, it's important to understand she doesn't know. And Peter answered. Now, here's, here's what you've got to be careful of. What is Peter answering? Well, evidently, there was a question. Like, she comes in three hours later, and she's expecting to see her husband. She's thinking, I need three hours to, uh, just, just to gather myself so that I can go in. And, and you got three hours with him to convince him, this is the money that we sold it for. We're spiritual, we're holy, we're, we're great, and we're just like Barnabas. Uh, you know, maybe they were jealous of Barnabas. We don't know what the situation was, but she needed some time, maybe. She comes in, then Peter answers her. What did she say? We don't know, but let's just say, well, she might have said, well, where's my husband? Well, Peter's not going to answer that. Well, he's in the grave right now. They just buried him a minute ago, or buried him three hours ago. So it says, and Peter answered unto her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yea, for so much. In other words, Ananias said, oh, we sold it for uh, $100 or $1,000. Did you sell it for $1,000? Yes, we sold it for $1,000. He gives her the opportunity to tell the truth. Then she's not dying because of her husband's sin. She chose to sin. She chose to lie to God. And she's going to lose her life over it. Lying to God can get you killed. Verse 9. See, that, that's a truth anyway, by the way. This isn't, this isn't just dispensationally, well, you know, we can get away with lying now. You can. God isn't going to kill you every time. God is long-suffering, merciful, gracious, and all those things. Just because you sin doesn't mean God's going to conk you on the head and you're going to die. But He could. But He could. And yes, thank God, because we'd all be dead. We're all sinners. We all fail. But the warning here is, there is a line you don't cross. Question is, where's the line? 
That's the million dollar question. When's too much too much? When it's too much. That's profound. I should write that one down. You all need to write that one down. When it's too much too much? When it's too much. Never mind. Verse 9. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? So who's the Spirit of the Lord? He's the Holy Ghost. He's God. He's the Spirit of the Lord. All three the same. Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door, and shall carry thee out. Matter that you know they probably had to dig a six foot hole. So it you know and and listen over there in Israel, man, it's some hard rocky dirt. I mean, it, it's probably t- and they didn't have the kind of shovels. They didn't have a backhoe. They dug them six foot, put him in, then they came back and they're going to take her out and bury her. Man, these guys are like, man, I I should have volunteered for another job. You know, instead of this one. Uh, verse 10, then fell, down, then fell she down straightway at his feet. Can you imagine? Yielded up the ghost, that means she died. And the young men came in, found her dead, and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. Now, I don't know about you, but that would probably get a lot of people's attention. Can you imagine... Can you imagine a church service? Somebody comes in here, they lie to God, and pew, drop dead, their wife is in the restroom. And, and I say, well, look, you've got, you got to get them out of here. I can't preach with them in here. And you, and, and, and you go ahead and take them out the side door, and the wife comes out. And I said, look, I just want to tell you, I'm gonna, just be careful what you say. Did this happen? Yes. And you know, we'd probably go ahead and suspend the service. Or maybe we would have... No, 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 no. We would go ahead and have the service and everybody would understand, listen, life is short. You don't know what's going to happen. But we wouldn't want to be known as the church where people drop dead in, by the way. You know, that would not be too copacetic. Verse 11, And great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these words. Great fear came upon them. Why? Because God was doing something so special at this time. I I am glad, I am thankful that this doesn't happen today. I mean, not that we know of. I mean, I I, I haven't heard of it. I mean, if it was going on in churches today, it would be on the news. I mean, I I get it. They get, some of them get, you know, they do the snake handling, get get bit by the snake, and, you know, they end up dying, but... That's a whole nother ball game. That's just some, some misinterpretation of handling snakes, um, that type of thing. So go back to verse 1, and let's look at um, some things. What I would tell you first, starting in chapter 5, is that the purity of the church is lost, never to be regained. That seems like this is what's going on through here. Uh, up until this point, you've got them in one accord quite a few times. It said that. Uh, but here were some spiritual pretenders. Um, they're into self-exaltation. Why did they do what they did? And, and listen, we really don't know. Maybe they were jealous of Barnabas. I mentioned that. Maybe they were weak in the faith. They wanted to appear like they're trusting in the Lord, but they really didn't have that trust. Listen, it's important to trust in the Lord. Faith is the important thing. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. That which is not a faith is sin. It's all about faith. Listen, if you don't have faith, you can't please God. But faith isn't an easy thing. Faith is hard. 
Faith is sometimes uh, fleeting. One moment you can have faith and the next moment, man, you can just be uh, reeling from what the world has thrown at you or what God's allowed. But the Bible says God's not going to allow you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Do you know there's no temptation that ever comes in your life, ever comes in your life that you can't bear? We can choose not to. And there are things that people have been through. I, I think about Ramsey's situation. I remember us praying for him, praying for him. Praying, and and we, we, we stopped by in Birmingham, went to see her. And, and I think about those times and I go, man, that, it's amazing to have her walk through the doors right now. What a blessing. That's not easy. It's not easy to be the mom and the the daddy and the uncle and the aunt and the sister, brother. It's not easy. Look at what went on in Texas down there with that shooting. It's not easy to go through those things. Some say, why God? Well, you, you can't do that in that case. You throw God out of the school, you stop prayer, and you say it's unconstitutional. And then you want to know why kids bring guns to school and shoot fellow classmates. I'll tell you why. Because when you throw God out, you can't blame God for the things that happen. Can we ever turn it back around? Probably not. I mean... What do you do? I'll tell you what I'd do. I'd certainly, I'd certainly get on my face before God and say, listen, listen, I'm sorry, God, that we have taken you for granted. That we thought that we could do this on our own. That we thought government schools was the way to go without God. We repent and we seek thy face. And listen, maybe that would end the shooting. You didn't have it in my day, and you had kids that come to school. They'd have a truck, and they'd have a gun in the back that's sitting there that they used for hunting over the weekend. Nobody ever thought about bringing it into the school. Nobody thought about how, you know, bringing in anything to hurt anybody else. They didn't bring in knives. And, and Did it ever happen? Sure it happened, but not to the extent that we see now. And listen, it is heartbreaking to think about those parents that are suffering because this country has chosen to throw God out of the school. Thank God for those teachers that do it anyway. They're shining light, and those kids know that they're there. And let me tell you something. I'll bet, I'll bet you didn't have a bunch of kids in Texas running to a bunch of atheists asking them, for answers or for prayer. You had, a, you had the magnets being the ones that knew the truth, had the truth, lived the truth, and they're the magnets. And listen, they may get their finger pointed, oh, why God? You're, you're God. You're God. Well, let me tell you something. If you say you're God, He better be your God too. There's no excuse. You cannot blame God for these things. We all stand accountable. We stand accountable when we're silent. We stand accountable when we don't get involved in the school board. I go and I pray before the school board. 
I told you, we're giving two scholarships out tomorrow night to two students from Baker High School. Why? Because we want... You know what they're going to get it for? They're going to get it because they wrote essays and answered questions on uh, why they're Republican. They're both at 18 years or 17 or 18, they, they, they've either pre-registered, they've registered to vote. And they have to send that in with it. Why? And they're conservative. I mean, you can't, you can't fake it. Um, you can only fake it so far, and they didn't fake it. So we're going we're gonna to give them scholarships. Not, not because the Republicans are right, but because conservative ideals should have kept us from the problem that we're in. But even conservatives haven't stood up and said, enough's enough. By the way, enough's enough. You don't want more shootings. You don't just... The, the kid could have come in with a knife. It's not the gun. It's, it's the system. It's, it's, it's not giving them hope. They have to have hope. And that hope only comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. When you look at this situation, the Bible says in 1 Timothy 5.20, Then that sin rebuke before all that others may fear. Sometimes, you know, and sometimes you have to rebuke publicly if the sin is public. That others may fear. That's why I'm glad we dodged the bullet with the situation over here. I, you know, I'm sitting here going, Lord, Lord, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? I want to minister to people. I want to be there for them. I, I, I'm, I don't care about a piano player in, this, in, that, in that respect. You know what I care about? Two souls. But you know what? God says, I'll take care of you. And He did. Didn't have to handle the situation. But... Eventually, it had to come forth to where everybody then understood what it was all about. So going back, you notice that they, in verse 2, the Bible says his wife was privy, therefore there was a conspiracy. It's a conscience, conscious sin. And Ananias, the Bible says uh, in verse 3, Peter said unto Ananias, Why has Satan filled thine heart lie of the Holy Ghost? In Ephesians 5.18 it says to be filled with the Spirit. In this case, or be Satan filled. You need to be filled with the Spirit so Satan's got no room to fill up your heart with bad things or with evil thoughts. It was voluntary. The early church believed in private property. What is yours is yours unless you decide you're going to make it available to everybody. It wasn't, it wasn't forced on them. Pretended devotion. A commitment that's not true. A surrender that's not real. A yieldedness that's not genuine. And a faithfulness that, that um, only appeared that way. I don't want to be like that. I don't, want to, I don't want to pastor a church that's full of people like that. I was reading a, a, a meme of sorts. It, might have been a, it was a dialogue about you know, uh, pastors that come and they only pastor for a short period of time. And usually within two years, graduating from Bible college or, or seminary, a, a lot of young people quit the ministry. Because... They went through seminary with rah, rah, rah. And I know, I know one college in particular that, you know, they, the, 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 the preacher would walk in and they'd all cheer real loud. Whoa, yeah, woo, woo, 
like a, like a football game. And, and the idea was, if you're going to do it a football game, do it in church. But the problem is, when you get the rah, rah, rah coming in, and then you go out there in the real world, and you pastor a real church, you find out that it's not all like that. You can rah, rah, rah for a year in the honeymoon stage. You can do it for two years, but let me tell you something. If you don't have a foundational basis in the Word of God, it's not going to last. The reason this church can be strong is because the church is strong on the Bible. When the church ceases to be strong in the Bible and leans toward the rah, 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 because everybody wants to be entertained today. I mean, who who wants to sit there and and listen, you all do because you're here and be preached at, the foolishness of preaching the Bible calls it. Who wants to sit out there? Well, the general person does not. The general Christian does not want to sit out there and be preached to. Say, are you preaching at us? I don't know. Preach at you, preach to you, preach for you, preach with you. I don't hear anybody else talking, so it's probably not the last one. This is all about... Lift the Bible up. Put ourselves under the authority of Scripture. And then guess what? Our church won't have the fighting and, and bickering and, 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 and clicks and, and, and sinfulness. Why? Because this type of stuff is hypocrisy. And you don't want hypocrisy in a church because it'll kill the church. Starts at the top. Starts with me. If I am not who I am outside the church building and I'm somebody else out there, and I come in here, and I'm, I'm a different person because I put on the suit and tie, because I dress, because I, I, I stand up here and I've got to give you the impression that I'm somebody that I'm not, that's where you get in trouble. And by the way, that goes for church members too. If you live one way and talk one way out there, and put on a front in here, you're no better than Ananias and Sapphira. And God may not drop you in your tracks, but sooner or later it all catches up to you. It all catches up to you. The Bible says in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, it talks about somebody that's living in sin. It says, they delivered him unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh. <clears throat> what does that mean? Well, he was in open sin, open rebellion, and they delivered him under Satan. Basically, it means they kicked him out of the church. You see, up until this point, God's dealing with it. And then later on, after the Word of God's you know, coming into completion, it's the church that has to have the discipline. It's the church that has to have the rules. And I don't mean rules outside the Bible. We don't need a bunch of rules. We, we don't need, well, you know what, if you dress like this or talk like, you know, you don't talk like I do or you don't, you don't, uh, in other words, it needs to be a biblical standard that we're talking about and not a man-made standard. When you have man-made standards, they are variable. The Bible's not variable. Therefore, I should be able to go into any church anywhere in the world and have the same standard. When the standards change, it's man's standards. When I have a list, and my list is 27 long, and you go, and I go, look, you got these 27, you're spiritual. 
And I go into a church and they got 35 and I feel like, man, I, well, I've got to go back and add some more to my list. And they're not biblical, it's just man-made standards. Listen, we don't need you to live up to my standard. I don't need to live up to your standard, and you don't need to live up to anybody else's standard. All we need to do is find out what the Bible says and live up to the Bible standard. And let me tell you something, that's enough. That's enough. Do you know what all these standards have done? Standards outside of the Scripture. They've created a disillusioned generation of Christians. By the way, something we've got to be careful of is making... You know, we've we got junior church here that we, that we do. And, and, and listen, it's different. Most of you don't color with crowns in here. If you do, that's fine. We do give a children's bulletin out to all the adults. It's fine. We've got to make sure that we don't make it to where that's all they get. Yes. In other words, if all we do, like some churches do, where they slide down a slide into their classroom and, you know, and then they have you know, 45 minutes or, well, 23 minutes probably of, of donuts and this. And we make it so much fun. It's just like, you know, then we bring in a magician and we, you know, and, they, and, and they're, doing, they're looking at it going, man, this is church. That's not church. Then they go to the grown-up church and they go, wait a minute. That's not what I... I like that because that fed my flesh. Now they come in here and they go, I don't feel like I'm getting fed as much. No, 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 no. Hopefully, you'd get fed as much Bible. In other words, you got a Bible lesson back there. Glory, hallelujah. And, and listen, you've got to take time with, with different groups, different ages, and, and you do give them a time to, to color or to, to, to do those things. But you've got to make sure that, that there isn't this unrealistic expectation of what church is about. Church is about serving God. Church is about glorifying God. And, and, and you've got to graduate them up to that. It's like a child. Now I lay me down to sleep. Pray the Lord, and you go through that prayer. God is great. God is good. Blessing the food. Listen, after five years of that, they need to try to graduate to praying from the heart. You start them that way, and then you bring them up. At least that's my understanding. Why is it that so many young people leave the church once they get to the adult church? Because it's no more fun. I'll tell you where you can have fun. It's whenever they, they darken the lights, they paint the, the ceiling black, the walls are black, they got black lights, they got all the instruments up here, and man, they're, they're, they're jamming, people are jumping up and down and clapping, and man, I, I, I've gone times, I put in earplugs, pulled them out one time, and put them right back in. My wife, I think, went once with me. We were invited, I said, okay, <laughs> I'm going to go. See what it's like. And then you know, what I, you know what my opinion was after that? That's not church. And I told somebody that. They came to me and said, well, 
two months after I went to one of these, they asked me, what did you think about it? I said, it's not church. And they quit church for a year. They quit everything for a year. And then one year later, they got so on fire for God in a good Bible-believing church. So you say, well, well, then what you said was wrong. No, their reaction was wrong. I only gave them my thought. And I wouldn't have told them if they didn't ask. But they did. And therefore I told them, and I didn't like the result. You know what I did then? I prayed more for them. I don't think I'd have prayed quite as much had they just kept going and going and going and going. I just thought, well, okay, everything's okay. No, no, no harm, no foul. Whatever that means. The Bible says in Romans 8, 13, there are many that live after the flesh. If you live after the flesh, you shall die, the Bible says. If you live after the flesh, you shall die. 1 Corinthians eleven thirty, talking about the Lord's Supper, says many of them eat it unworldly. Many are weak and sickly and some sleep. That's why the Lord's Supper is such an important aspect of the church. You don't have to do it all the time. But when you do it, you need to take it seriously. You need to examine yourself and say, hey, I've got sin that's in my life. Nobody necessarily knows about it, but God does. I need to get that right. And that's what that's all about. If you come and you take, partake of the Lord's Supper unworthily, now listen, we all have sin, but you ought to look at it and say, hey, there's some things in my life where I need to get them fixed before I partake of the Lord's Supper on Sunday night. And it's called the Lord's Supper for a reason. It's supper, not Lord's breakfast. That's why we don't do it on a Sunday morning. Doesn't that make sense? I mean, there's churches, well, they do, the, they do the Lord's Supper every Sunday in the morning. It's not called the Lord's Lunch. It's called the Lord's Supper. It's at night. 1 John 5, 17, that says there's a sin unto death. A sin unto death. Going back over there to... Um, the end of verse 4, it says, Why hast thou, uh, thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. They had personal responsibility. Personal responsibility. You know, the real question is not why God judges some Christians, but why He lets others of us live. That's how you need to look at things. Why did God judge that person? No, why didn't God judge me? Why didn't God judge you? Why is it that... See, here's the thing. Sometimes we get away with things for a long period of time and we think God doesn't care. He does care. In Psalm 51 verse 4, the Bible says, "...against thee..." Thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. Against thee have I sinned. See, sometimes we look out and we think, well, I'm just, I'm just sinning against a person. No, you're not. You're sinning against God. 1 Samuel 12, 23 says, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. That was Samuel speaking. He says, listen, to be a sin for me not to pray for you. Do you know what it is if you don't pray for me and I don't pray for you and we don't pray for each other? It's a sin. We don't look at things like that. We look at sin and go, well, if you smoke cigarettes, it's a sin. If you drink, it's a sin. If you...
sin. And it's all this outward stuff. We don't think about the sin inwardly that, that, that is so much more damaging at times. Samuel said, it would be a sin if I didn't pray for you, the nation of Israel. It's a sin if we don't pray for each other. Nehemiah 1.7 says, We have dealt very corruptly against thee. Nehemiah chapter 1. We have, we have dealt very corruptly against thee. Listen, I, if you, listen, listen to this right here. If you and I would focus on that God rather than this, it would make all the difference in the world. I don't know why people do what they do, but God always does. I don't know why people think what they think, but God always does. I don't know why people say what they say, but God always does. And if we would be thinking about our sin in this relationship, these relationships would take care of themselves. Look at James chapter 1. James chapter 1. I wanted to cover quite a bit of material, so I, hadn't had, I haven't had you go to many Scripture, but I think you need to on this one. And we'll start in verse 13. So it's James chapter 1, verse 13. The Bible says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Now, you might think, well, wait a minute, I thought it said that he tempted Abram. He didn't tempt Abraham with sin. God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempteth he any man with what? With evil is the context. He tempted Abraham to bring the best out of Abraham. Not to bring the worst out of him. So when people say, well, see, there's errors in the Bible because Abraham was tempted by God, the Bible says. No, Abraham was tempted for his good, not for evil. So we go on to verse 14. But every man is tempted. Now watch this. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. You are tempted when you're drawn away with your own lust. Not God's fault. God does not tempt you to do evil. And here's the result. 15. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And you could go on from there, but we'll stop there. That is the progression of sin. We sometimes see the end result and don't realize how a person gets there. Just don't ever say, God made me do it. Don't even say, the devil made me do it, because the devil isn't in that equation either. We are tempted when we choose to follow the temptation and not the way to escape. Let me go ahead and, and, and close up with Hebrews chapter 10. Remember it said, great fear came upon all the church. I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 10. And with this I'm going to close. 
Hebrews 10, verse 29. The Bible says, Of how much sore punishment suppose ye, shall he be thought worthy, notice that, thought worthy, this is what somebody's thinking, who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant, wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. In other words, this is what somebody, how much should you think him worthy of being punished? Not that he's going to lose his salvation, but he's thought worthy who hath done these things. For we know him, verse 30, that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. God's going to judge his people. He doesn't need me to judge you. Verse 31 is the key. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. God is gracious, God is merciful, God is long-suffering, and don't you ever forget that. But it does not mean that you can play fast and loose with the things of God. We have a responsibility to live according to God's precepts. And they're right here. Ananias and Sapphira, an anomaly, but maybe not. We don't know how many people's lives have been cut short because they decided that, that they were going to be hypocrites in the church. We don't know. I wish I had a crystal ball at times. So somebody could come to me and they could, they, they could ask me advice and... I could show them the crystal ball and say, this is where your life is heading if you keep going in that direction, and it's a train wreck at the end. Or, this is the way your life is heading. Bless God, keep going in the right direction. I don't have that crystal ball. I don't even have a crystal ball that can tell me what somebody's inner thoughts are to advise them the right way. I don't have that gift. Now, I have... Something that a lot of people in the world don't have. Spiritual discernment. You have and can have spiritual discernment. What's it come from? It comes from the Bible. You Listen, I pray, I pray, I pray. It doesn't mean every decision I make is going to be right. Sometimes I can pray, and that's why I try not to say God told me. It's hard to, it's hard to argue with God told me. When we say it, we don't really mean what it means. At least I hope we don't. God told me to... Well, then... Go ahead. What do you think about it? What do you mean? God told you. And we don't mean that. That's why I try not to say that. I believe the Lord is leading. I believe uh, such and such. And, and, And listen, sometimes... You know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get peace about a matter and, and I'll say something and I'm trying, to, I'm trying to get some feedback and I'll go, and, and then I'll get that peace and I'm like, Katie, bar the door, I'm done. Why? Experience, Scripture, and when I get that peace, what's, what's, all, what's prayer all about? 
Be careful for nothing, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So what is prayer about if not getting peace? So when I get the peace, hey, I'm done about a matter many times. Now, sometimes people won't let you be done. Some people like to fight. Some people like to just keep stirring the pot. I know, I've been out there in the world working. And they stir the pot, they stir the pot, and they stir the pot, and then they wonder, why is it boiling over all the time? Because if you keep stirring the pot, that's what happens. But you've got to figure out how to get peace in your life. How do you get it? You pray, you pray, you pray, you pray, and then God answers your prayer, and you get the peace that you need to know the direction you, want, you need to go. You want to know the will of God? That's it. Pray. As flippant as it sounds, that's the best advice a preacher can give anybody. That's how I know what to do. That's how I knew to come down here. That's how how we ended up coming across here in the first place. I'm sitting there in in, in Sarasota and and I'm burning teaching Revelation for a week and doing the book and the PowerPoint and, and, and the mishaps with a motorhome. And, and, and I'm just looking at my wife. I go, no, we're going... I mean, God had already told me a month earlier that we were going to be back in the pastorate, but he doesn't, I'm not in it yet. I got 30,000 miles to go. I'm tired. I looked at her and my dad and mom said, well, I guess you're going to go down to Boca Grande. I went, no, we're going north. All I knew was I needed to be in Milton, I had one Sunday open and a Wednesday open and I needed to be in Milton and I wasn't going south with that motorhome. I was going north. Man, we hit Tampa that night. We hit Lake City the next Sunday morning. We hit Tallahassee the next Sunday night. And guess what God was doing in all that turmoil? He was putting us in Niceville the following Wednesday night. How did we get here? Oh, it was a little tumultuous. I was tired. And it was like, Lord, I, you know, and, and you go back and, and, and I'd want to say, I would want to say this, but I wouldn't because I, I get it. Lord, I'd already made the decision. I'm committed. I was going to get back in the pastorate. I already told him that. I told my wife of all people. Of course I'm going to do it. But it doesn't matter. It's how you get there. And He knows us, and He knows what we need, and He knows the direction. Let me tell you something. When we stopped here on that Wednesday night, it was such a breath of fresh air. I didn't know what all was going on. But it was, it was like, wow, that's life. You want to know the will of God? Pray. Let's all stand together. Lord, we do thank you for your many blessings. We just ask that you guide, lead, and direct. Lord, we thank you uh, especially for having visitors and special visitor tonight. Lord, just the way that you are merciful and gracious, loving and kind. We thank you for that. And we just pray for your will to be done in Jesus' name. With your head bowed and eyes closed, the music plays.